Um, good morning, church. How are you guys doing today? That's all right. That was a little tired, but we'll try it one more time. How are you doing today? It's all right to be tired, by the way. <laughs> Lord knows if you got kids, I know you are. Amen? Amen. That'll, that'll preach, right? Well, it's a joy to be with you today. Um, I scheduled myself for 25 minutes, but I'm not one to keep my word when it comes to time. And so with that being said, I know there's food after, so I'll just follow the time of our stomachs. Amen? Oh, thank you. I got one amen. That's all right. You hear rats licking ice in here. That's all right. That's all right. Well, uh, today um, we are going to be learning uh, about Elijah. Anybody know who Elijah is? Yeah? Yeah? Okay. Well, you know, for those of you that don't need a little reminder, uh, uh, my son over there may not know who Elijah is. Elijah's kind of a big deal, okay, Um, in Judeo-Christian heritage. When Christ was transfigured, uh, the two beings that arrived to dialogue with him um, before Peter, James, and John were Moses and? And? It's kind of a big deal. <laughs> the two people Christ want to hang out with when he's not in his fleshly form was these two cats. And the funny thing is, is Elijah um, is known for many feats, many things he's known for. Anybody ever heard of the pillar of fire? Right? Not the one in the Exodus, you know, the one with, with Elijah, all right? With the priests and stuff like that. Here's a refresher. Look, we're, we're, we're going we're gonna to walk between two mountains of achievements in Elijah's story. See, so many people love to talk about the pillar of fire. Some people love to talk about Elijah was swept up into heaven by a chariot of fire and a whirlwind that never died. Just kind of just went to be with God. High five, <laughs> right? Like, there's only two people that have done that. Jesus, um, Enoch, not Jesus. <laughs> Enoch, <laughs> there's that. Um, Enoch and Elijah. So, Michael, you're repeating your point, I know, but it's important. Here's why. Because to our left in our rear view is one set of stories on review, and there's another set on the right, but we're going to spend our time in a valley this morning. Too often, we like to preach on the feats of the people of God instead of the sorrows of the great forefathers of old. Amen? And today, we're going to talk about the feet of God in the midst of a, of a great prophet's story. Now, I was a tour guide in college, and so please forgive the, the way I do this, but it's just habit. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the story of Elijah. We are uh, going to take, uh, please follow me as I walk backwards. Don't worry, I've done this plenty of times. To our left in our rear view, you can see that we have Elijah, who asked God to end a drought. Ladies and gentlemen, please, you know, p- uh, you know, avert your gaze to the left. I know that we have many distractions to the right, but we'll get to the other side in a moment. Now, ladies and gentlemen, please keep your kids with you. All hands in the, in the cart, please. I, I indulge myself a little too much. But also on our left, um, we have Elijah who started a drought and beseeched God and then ended a drought um, throughout the entire land of Israel. We also can see on our left, Elijah enters a contest of whose God is real with 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah. By the way, these are idols, <laughs> false gods. And the challenge was simple. Whose God can light this thing, this altar, this sacrifice? And, they, uh, and in this contest of not champions, but lowercase gods or uppercase god, singular, the, Elijah, being ever so kind, 
let's the prophets of Asher and Baal go first. Now, this is a review. This is not the sermon, all right? <laughs> but these prophets of Baal, priests of Baal, from morning to afternoon till evening, dance, cut themselves, right? Try to conjure a God that's not there. Um, to try to find some spark, because the whole goal is just to get this thing to light without touching it, right? I mean, even a magician could figure that out, right? But no, this is not a magician's game. This is about godhood. And of course, as you know the story, nothing happens. And then Elijah beseeches God once, saying, Lord God, please light this sacrifice. By the way, all the people of God are there. So this is bigger than PNC Stadium. This is bigger than Highmark. This is a lot of people. And he just says, God, please. And then immediately, Scripture says, fire comes down from heaven. And it's not like a little laser, okay? It's like, fire! Right? If you're in the anime, you could picture this, right? <laughs> it's like, oh, my gosh. So much so that it not only uh, lights up the altar, but the, it was basically sandcastle uh, because uh, Elijah basically built a pool around this altar and covered it in water just to prove just how much God can do it. Um, amen. Wow, right? right? This is a big feat. And not only that, all these, all these priests were murdered at that day at Elijah's command by the people of God. Not to mention, uh, uh, they, you know, this is 1 Kings, uh, I want to say 17, maybe 18 I'm talking about, but in 1 Kings, uh, I want to say 17, there's this another story to our left where Elijah um, ends the drought, beseeches God to end the drought. Seven times he prays, right? And then he tells his servant, go out seven times and look up at the sea and see if there's any clouds. And on the seventh time that Elijah told the servant to go look at the clouds, right? I think this is an exciting story, right? So then the, the servant's like, yeah, there's a, cl a cloud the size of a hand coming. And he's like, hurry, go tell the king Ahab uh, to hurry back to Jezreel because they're going to get caught up in the rain. Anybody got caught in the rain yesterday in the last couple days? Anybody ever been caught in the rain? Was it fun? I see some of you enjoying yourself. God bless you. But for the most part, it's not fun, right? And I come from Fort Lauderdale, Florida, uh, and my mom. And I tell you what, getting, a ca getting caught in a torrential downpour is a game changer. <laughs> it's not just, you're not just wet. I mean, your whole maybe day, even night might be changed. You know? <laughs> so anyway. Now, the reason I tell you this part of the story is because, you know, this, like, there's so much, these little nuggets of stories I think we miss as Christians, especially those that, you know, grew up in the church. The Bible says um, that Elijah, like, King, King Ahab, like, hurry, hurry home. Home is 31 miles away, 50 kilometers, right? And the king is in a chariot. Anybody know what a chariot is driven by? Horses. Horses go by chariot usually 25 to 40 miles an hour, okay? And the king usually has, like, the average horses or the best horses, the best horses, right? Now, the Bible says that God, Elijah didn't ask for this. God gave Elijah, because he didn't want to get caught in the rain either, um, a special strength. And you know these robes. Everyone ever carry a robe? I was going to bring my robe, but I would embarrass my wife too much, so I chose not to. I love you. And so, but you know like those robes you always see in little coloring books? 
The Bible says Elijah just tucked it in his little <laughs> belt. So imagine this like, all this like robe, and he booked it and ran ahead of Ahab's horses and beat him to Jezreel. I don't know about y'all, but that's cool. I watch anime. That's awesome. Okay? Like all these, these are just some of the feats. There's seven big miracles Elijah's known for in all of Judea. Right? And I don't even know if the running one is even counted amongst them, but to me, that's awesome. Mike, what's your point? Ladies and gentlemen, that's to our left. To our right, we're going to see a number of other miracles that Elijah will do. Elijah is going to be caught up in a whirlwind to heaven. Um, He is the only one out of the two witnessed going to heaven and not dying. Enoch just disappeared one day. It was not witnessed how he did not become unalived, but how he just joined the Father. On the other side is Elisha coming, Elijah's replacement. who does twice as many miracles. Or I should say the Lord does twice as many miracles through him. So we got a rear view, and we got what's coming, but we have this little side road we're going to live in today. Oh, I forgot. Another thing to our left, ladies and gentlemen, is that Elijah um, definitely asked God to raise a widow's son from the dead, and this kid came back to life. Um, that's neither here nor there, right? That's small stuff, right? No, it's not. But, it's, but Elijah's coming off some huge highs, brothers and sisters. Now, continuing the tour, um, we are going to land in 1 Kings 19. So, um, do, do we have an ESV in the room? ESV Bible. Raise your hand if there's an ESV. It should be in your pews. Anyone have an NLT in the room? New Living Translation. Yes, Madre. And then anyone have an NIV? Okay, great. So we're going to do a little participation. I grew up in camp ministry, and so, you know, I can't do this thing without you. Amen? All right, look, here, here's the thing. I grew up Southern Baptist, even though I'm not, and I grew up charismatic. Thanks, Mom. And uh, at the end of the day, I give as much energy as you give me, amen? Now, the Holy Spirit has energized me to say a word, but the word does not come to him void. All I got to do is read you the text, and I'm done. No, I'm playing. But here's the thing. We're going to participate. So can someone take out the New Living Translation? Um, Mom, you have it? Okay, all right. Who has NLT on their phone? Yep, okay. All right, so we're going to play around a little bit. Sweetie, can I have my phone back? I should have got that earlier. We share phones sometimes. Thank you, sweetie. All right, so we're going to dive into 1 Kings 19. And so pull out your Bible because I will be calling on some of you to help me with this text. All right? It's participatory learning. Amen? All right. If I just get some cell service, that's all right. This is why you should always have a text, hard text Bible. Let me try this again. Apologies, technical difficulties, brothers and sisters. All right, Bible app, do not fail me today. All right. So, now remember that story about Elijah beating King Ahab to Jezreel, 31 miles away? All right, the story picks up right there, right? The prophets of Baal and Asherah, gone. Okay, but this is no small thing because do you realize that right before this, the wife of King Ahab, the king of northern Israel, no, yeah, northern Israel, okay, has been allowing his wife, who's, you know, pagan wife, 
Jezebel, right? If anybody knows that, like, Jezebel is a bad name to call a woman, anybody know that? Yeah? That starts with her, okay? It's her fault, okay? This Jezebel of a queen, not playing, it's her name. I was playing on words. Michael, focus, I'm back. So, Queen Jezebel has been murdering prophets of God for a while now. Her goal almost, is to make sure that none of the prophets of Yahweh remain, but only her prophets of Asherah and Baal. But since the pillar of fire, guess whose prophets are all gone? I can't hear you. Whose prophets are all gone now? Baal Baal and Asherah. Bye-bye, right? But guess what? King Ahab has to go tell on Elijah. And so in 1 Kings 19, what we see is, now by the way, Elijah beat him there. So he's, Elijah's already in town, okay? Just so you know, that I got confused for a little bit, that, but make, that'll help make things make sense. All right, read with me. When Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done. And maybe not the running part, but who knows? Because if I saw a guy beat my horses, I'd be like, you know what? Let's lay off this guy. <laughs> anyway. When Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them, her prophets. Elijah was afraid. Pause. Elijah was afraid. Elijah pillar of fire, 450 plus 400 prophets gone. Well, not by the fire, but eventually they were all taken out by the people of God by his command. Anyway, Elijah raising, beseeching God to alive a dead child, right? Elijah is afraid. Let's keep reading. And he fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Really nice of him, I guess. And then he went on alone. Everybody say alone. Come on, give it to me. Everybody say alone. Look at your neighbor say, by himself. You know, look at your neighbor, but that's all right. We'll work on that. One person did. I see you. He went by himself into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. For I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. Has anyone here ever felt like you've had enough? I'll take your silence as affirmation. Has anyone here ever felt like you've had enough? Maybe you can just give me a blink or something. All right. Well, if you know what that feels like, then you know where Elijah is right now. Maybe have a sense. Verse 5, then he lay down and slept under the broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. He looked around, and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. Hmm. Verse 5 and 6, does does anyone have that in the ESV or NIV? Verse 5 and 6. Can anyone who has that read that aloud, please? Mom, NIV, verse 5 and 6. Okay, sweet. A little louder, Mama. That's all right. Verse 5 and 6. Hmm. 
ESV. Verse 7, then the angel of the Lord came again and touched them and said, get up and eat some more, or the journey ahead will be too much for you. Verse 8, so he got up and ate and drank, and the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. There he came to a cave where he spent the night. You see, the, another mountaintop experience to our right, ladies and gentlemen, is this moment where, where Elijah hears God, right? There's the tornado, the fire. You know this story, right? That's not our story for this morning, but I want to live in this little pocket today. You see, just a little context to what's going on. Um, Elijah's not throwing a hissy fit here, right? I've had enough, and what did he say? I've had enough, Lord, and I want to what? Die. Look, um, there are psychological disorders, dysfunctions, there are there's seasonal depression. But what I want to say is that no one is immune to this level of grief. No one is immune to this level of sadness, not even Elijah. Amen? And so I'm not going to diagnose this, apost- this, this, um, this prophet of God. But what we do know is that he was not kidding. You see, the king's of Israel had three jobs. Worship the living God alone, say alone. Rid Israel of idolatry, say get out. And and by ridding Israel of idolatry, you know, leading to the third, being faithful to the covenant God made with Israel. Okay? Pretty simple. Get rid of idols, keep the covenant, and just worship him. Well, oh, sorry. Amen? And the role of the prophets, right? God established kings, but he also established prophets to also keep them and support them and hold them accountable, right? Because power without, without accountability does what? Messes stuff up. Amen? Mike, where are you going with this? I'll get there in a moment. <laughs> the role of the prophets were fourfold. They were to speak on God's behalf. That's why you often hear them say, as surely as the Lord lives, or as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, the God I serve. The funny thing is, I was reading this over, I was listening like to 1 Kings 17 through 21, like on nonstop. And I kept hearing this like, as surely as the Lord lives, the God of Israel, the one I serve. And I'm like, that's so redundant, obviously, Elijah. But then I realized with all the idols, we just talked about two, Asherah and Baal. He's actually being specific because there are other prophets who probably said similar things, but they weren't talking about Yahweh right? And so my point is, is that you won't understand the exhaustion of Elijah if you don't know the toll of serving in this context. I'm saying that again. It's hard to understand Elijah and his exhaustion if you don't understand the toll of the service. I know I'm talking to a couple people here today. I'm talking to myself at least. The role of the prophets were to Speak on God's behalf as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, the one that I serve. Second, call out idolatry and injustice. And three, they were covenant watchdogs. And lastly, they would challenge people, the people to repent and follow the Torah. 
Again, I'm sure you can already see that the, the responsibility of kings also had similarities to the prophet's responsibilities. The reason I tell you this is because northern Israel and Judea, I'm saying that right, there's two different kingdoms, right? Uh, split after Jehoboam and Rehoboam. That's not important. Nerd out, I'm back. Is most of the kings, if not darn near all of the kings, failed at every step of the responsibility of kings which means years and years and generations and generations of prophets were calling northern Israel back to God, but the people, they just love calves, like idols and stuff for some reason. Golden calves show up a lot. And I'm like, what, what is up with cattle? Y'all and cattle. Anyway, sorry. Um, I think it's hilarious. But, um, and the prophets are always trying to, like, their job is not, they, don't, they do not have a king calling. They have a prophetic calling. But it felt like they were carrying the king's duty and the prophets. I mean, does that make, like, have you ever felt like you were, you were doing your job and somebody else's? Did that make you enjoy your job or make you get on a fast track to burnout? Did you stay at that job? Some of y'all are like, yes, well, I'm going to pray for y'all. <laughs> get out. <laughs> but look, when you're asked to do other people's jobs, it's hard to do yours. Not only that, but it's like the, the mileage on your car goes faster. Speedometer. No, that's not speedometer. Thank you. Odometer, right? It burns more tread on the tire is what I'm trying to say. Amen? So what the, the Elijah we're meeting is not just some like random like, oh, he's just sad. No, this is someone who is like, I, he's not defeated. He's like, I'm done. Ahab just saw pillar of fire from you, and he's still going to Queen Jezebel saying, what should we do? Right? Like, he knows of the things Elijah has done, this king who, every time he would see Elijah, read it for yourself, he says, here's the troublemaker. He would see him coming. Here's my enemy, and Elijah would give it right back to him. I'm not a troublemaker. You are. <laughs> right? I'm sorry. The banter, if you actually read it, it's actually kind of funny. But, like, neither of them have power over each other. Because they both answer to the real power, but only one's listening. And that is exhausting. Maybe for some of you, if you're married, you know what that's like. Maybe you're listening to God and your partner's not. That's pretty fatiguing, amen? Maybe you've been a co-director in a company and like, you know your responsibility and you're listening to your supervisor, but your other partner's not. Right? This is quite a quandary to be in. So, Michael, what's your point? Um, it's essentially this. That, we, that no one is immune to the fatigue, to the depression, to the collapse, to the anxiety, to the need to isolate. When you're just done. There's been times I've woken up and I'm just saying, you know what, no more. No, I'm done with this. Right? I've left jobs, and I'm just like, I've, I've, I've hung in there, and I thought I was doing the right thing, but I was abandoning myself to do it. I'm not talking about work, I'm talking about ministry at this point. I spent many years abandoning myself, thinking that that's what I had to do to serve God, but really I was just serving a company that was not listening to him in the first place. I have to admit, I... I when I read this, I, I felt so much connection to Elijah. You know, in a trauma response has four typical categories. Now, let me just clarify, 
Trauma responses are your neurological masterful defense systems to keep you alive. There's nothing wrong with your trauma responses, which are fight, flight, freeze, and collapse, <laughs> okay? Collapse can also be matched with, like, you become really acquiescent. So, for example, when pushed into a corner, you just, you know, want to fight back. That urge to just fight back, that's a trauma response. When something bad happens, your desire to just start running, right, that's a trauma response. Uh, I, should I make that joke? Or I don't know. <laughs> All right, I'll make the joke. So, you know, there's this funny thing that... Um, Whenever, uh, whenever you see, like, a black person running, like, black people just run, too. Yeah. You ever see that? But white people, if a white person sees a person running, they just go in the opposite direction really curious. Like, what's happening? Right? I don't know, thank you. I know the black people laughing. Look, look, if you ever see black people running, just run. <laughs> no curiosity needed. They will inform you later. <laughs> okay? Co- collectively, been through some things, Okay? Fight, flight, freeze. Sometimes you just get frozen and just say, if I just stay still, the danger will pass. Right? And another trauma response is collapse. You become really acquiescent and submissive, or you just shut down. Guess where Elijah is? He's in full collapse. He deposited, he's, look, he's just done things for God. He is fleeing this queen. Right? Who has a, a knack for murdering the prophets of God. Deposited servants, which I'm pretty sure servants are supposed to stay with you. Because his plan is to be done, like, with life. And, you know, if, if you ever, if you have your phone, could you do something for me? Could you take out your phone and just go on Google search and type in broom tree? Could you do that for me? I just want you to picture this. You don't have to do it. You can just stay listening to me if you want. It's your choice. But I want you just to have a picture of where we're finding Elijah as well. Just type in broom tree. Let's go ahead and look up when you have it, or maybe show your neighbor who doesn't want to look. <laughs> Do you got it? Doesn't that look like a lonely tree? Doesn't it look kind of lonely? Just imagine Elijah just kind of walking and walking and walking, and then he finds a broom tree, and it's like kind of sad picture. He just sits under this thing, right? And this Elijah says, I've had enough. God, let me die. Now, does, does he ask God for food? Yes or no? In the text, no. Does he ask God for water, yes or no? Right? Does God come and start giving him instructions right away what to do? No. What God does, God lets him nap. God wakes him up to eat. And God wakes him up to hydrate. Here's the thing I want to say. We are all part of the royal priesthood who called Jesus our Lord and Savior, the God of Israel. Amen? But I want you to know that even Elijah, one of the greatest prophets known to Judeo-Christian heritage, even he was more than a product to God. He was someone worth, God saw worthy enough to slow down and make sure, have you had some water? Have you had something to eat? Anybody had a good mama that made sure you, ate, you hydrated while you were playing? Right? And you were annoyed, mom, I don't want any apple juice. Drink this juice right now. <laughs> right? Or any dads? Yeah? Do you remember those days? Any, ever chase a kid trying to get him to drink some water? That is work. Mine's in the back right now, right? But God lets him sleep, wakes him up to hydrate. I don't know about you, but we're saying good, good father. That's father stuff, y'all. That's daddy stuff. 
And the angel of the Lord says to prepare you for the journey ahead, which means God knew where Elijah was going, Mount Sinai. He didn't send him there. He just knew that when Elijah needed to be cared for, he was going to come to daddy. Amen? Some of us don't like to go to daddy. Abba. Some of us would just stay under that broom tree. I'm the worst of sinners. Many times I've just stayed under that broom tree like, no, I'm not moving. Right? And God's tenderness remains still. Amen? And what I want to say to each of us is that I'm not trying to be any socialist, communist, capitalist. What I'm trying to say is that in this country, labor has always been exploitative. So burnout has always been cultural to labor in this country. And what that does when we're in a traumatic state, when trauma becomes culture, is that it becomes normalized. You with me? Michael, what point are you trying to make? It's this. Even if burnout is normal to you, it doesn't mean it's normal to God. Just because burnout or fatigue is normal to you and just press it on and just put your nose to the grindstone, I never heard of that in Scripture. Here's the thing. When we look forward into Elijah, Elijah goes to Mount Sinai for 40 days and 40 nights. He travels. How much time do I have? Okay. Don't tell me that. <laughs> he goes, I'm going to fast forward a little bit. So he, fa- he goes to 1 Kings 19, Lord speaks to Elijah. So he goes 40 days and 40 nights to the mountain of God, Mount Sinai, verse 8, 1 Kings 19. There he came to a cave where he spent the night, okay? Continuing in verse 9. But the Lord said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Okay? Everybody look at your neighbor and say, what are you doing here? Do you think God was really surprised he was there? Who's the one who prepared him for the journey? Who? Really the angel, no, I'm just playing with you. God. God. He asked him a question. I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you. Torn down your altars and killed every one of your prophets. I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. Mm. I don't know about you, but do you ever feel like you're the last one? You're the only one going through something? Anyone? Come on, is God knocking at your door yet? Is God in your backyard yet? I know there's times where I'm depressed. I'm like, I'm the only one going through something like this. And God has something to tell him. Go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. As Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by, and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. Again, the command, the challenge was what? Go out, and I will what? God said, I will do what? Come out when I check the text. Participatory learning. What does he say? Verse 11. Go out and stand before who? Before me, before God, right? Which basically means go out there when I'm out there, right? Amen? You with me? Because when I was reading this, I was like, man, like, why do you go outside to see all this stuff? But he's in the cave. A lot of pictures depict Elijah watching this happen. Uh, like, wind comes so, so mighty that it splashes up against the rocks, right? Uh, earthquake, fire, huge fire, you know, happens. I don't know if you've ever been in a fire before. 
or like seen a forest fire. It is hot. It is overwhelming. It sends you into all the trauma responses. He stays in the cave. stays in the pocket. But it's not until a gentle whisper comes that he realizes God is, is, is here. And then he goes out. He goes out, wraps his face in cloak, and stands at the entrance. And the voice says again, what are you doing here, Elijah? Do you think God repeats himself for fun? I can tell you confidently he does not. But we, sometimes he still has to repeat himself to us, amen? Thanks be to God for his patience. But one thing as I was studying this text, I was like, is God asking that for himself or for Elijah? And what I realized is, is that sometimes when you're depressed, you don't want to name anything. You just want to be in that space. But you can't heal from what you can't name. Let me say that again. You can't heal from what you can't name. And it's not that God can't heal you. It's the fact that if you don't even know what he's going to heal you for, how will you know that he did it? Mike, what's your point? It's this. I think the 40 days and 40 nights, I think God heard him at the broom tree. And that's a lot of time to still feel the same way, by the way. Therapists usually say this, uh, that when you are feeling depressed to, st- to get moving, write some things down, get social, get interactive, right? It's like bloatedness, right? Um, did you know when you're bloated, you feel full of what? Water. Do you know when the antidote to bloatedness is? I know that times of the month, certain things, but one of the antidotes that can help is actually drinking water, right? So when we get depressed, we want to isolate, but what will actually help us is to de-isolate, Amen. That's what therapists say. They even say get moving, go on a walk. Sometimes they say that will help your body. This is a brother that not only walked, he drank, he ate, and he still feels the same way. Second time, what are you doing here? I, he replied again, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant in, uh, with you, torn down your idols, and killed every one of your prophets. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. You know, the funny thing is about burnout is that we live in a culture where people say, keep going. This is what God does. God doesn't get them back in the game. He says, okay. He says, you're the only one left. You don't want to do this no more. He says, go back the way you came and travel through the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive there, anoint Hezio to be king of Aram. I'm done with Ahab. You know that king you're tired of? Okay. Then anoint Jehu, grandson of Nimshi, to be the king of Israel. All right, two different locations. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from the town of Abel Meholah, to replace you as my prophet. Skip to verse 18. Yet I will preserve 7,000 others in Israel who have never bowed down to Baal or kissed him. 7,000 other prophets. At every point where he's like, I, I can't do this, I can't do this, I'm tired of this, he's like, I got you, I got you, I got you. You're done. And I don't know about you, but that feels so, so kind. God didn't put him back in the game like uh, I would with my son in a soccer game. I tried to get him to start, stop crying and get back in or get me a goal. God's like, okay, son, you're done. So, so Michael, so what's the whole point of all this that you're telling us? Well, it's just that no one is immune to depression. No one is immune to exhaustion and burnout. And God's never called you to keep pushing through that. He listened to Elijah. He didn't require Elijah to push past his burnout point. 
God lets him sleep, lets him wake up, through his angel tends to his physical needs and gets him moving. So what? You cannot show up to God honestly if you cannot be honest with where you are. Amen? Depression can come upon us in the wildest moments. Look at Elijah. He's in the midst of amazing feats of God and yet still stricken by the pangs of fatigue, fear, and anxiety and overwhelm. Exhaustion, defeatedness. I don't want to live anymore, Elijah says. Now what do we do? Well, I invite you to the same question that God asked Elijah. Why are you here? Not at church, silly. Why are you where the Lord finds you even now? In the seats, in the pews. What is the Lord brought to heart and mind that is sitting with you under that broom tree of yours? What is your response to the Father? Why, what are you doing here in this space? And I trust the Holy Spirit's working on you. Why are you here? And my question to you is, where have you known the stuckness that comes with depression, sadness, exhaustion? And God is inviting you to slow down, be still, maybe get alone, and seek his gentle whisper. To commune with the living God. What greater privilege is this? The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is alive in you and me. Amen? Amen? Amen. That's a big deal, people. So why can't we hear him? Why are you here? Where has the Lord found you today, beloved? Where is your soul? Are you tired? Do you feel beaten down, dear saint? Do you feel like you can just crawl in a, in a cave and die? Well, you're in good company. You're in good company. Are you able to give God an honest answer if he asked you, why are you here? Joe Matsula, head coach of the Boston Celtics, tells this story when a reporter asks him about what he does 48 hours before some big fiasco or a game or something that's going on. And um, Joe Matsula says, you want me to answer honestly? And he looks at the reporter and says, I met three girls under the age of 21 with terminal cancer. He says, I thought I was helping them by talking to them when they were actually helping me. And having understanding about what life is all about and watching a girl smiling, enjoying her life while dying, and having faith. Sounds like the life of the saints. Amen? A girl smiling, enjoying her life while dying, and having faith. And that's the other thing. You always hear people give glory to God when they are holding a trophy or a big feat, but you never hear in times like this. And so for me, it's an opportunity to sit right here where I'm at and just be faithful. May the same be said of us, even under a boom tree, even on a 40-day and 40-night hike to Mount Sinai, to the mountain of God. Elijah showed up to tell God something, but God had something to give him, himself, and his rest. Dear friend, don't you know that God is still in the business of letting us get to know him? Dear friend, don't you know that God is still in the business of being heard? God is not with you as long as you are productive or have a trophy to offer him or an award. God has not taken his eyes off of us, even in the valley. It's not the tornadoes and earthquakes or applause or cameras or Facebook likes or Instagram-like reposts, but even when you all are alone, 
under your broom tree. Maybe that's something, uh, that broom tree is like in your car or in a restaurant parking lot after church or at a potluck in the corner or when you cry at night in your bedroom. Or for some of us, maybe we don't cry, but you're crying those silent tears if you know what I'm talking about. The silent tears that come with self-alienation or anger or mood shifts that feel unexplainable somehow at the end of the day or at the end of the work week. Are you still enough to hear that whisper? (laughs) Dearest beloved, God wants to whisper to you. God wants to whisper to you. Look at your neighbor and say, he wants to whisper still. (laughs) Will you slow down? Will you get still? Will you get honest? And meet him, he's waiting. Thanks be to God.